Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Parenting. It's hard. Are you overwhelmed and stressed? Do you worry about what can go wrong? Have you lost yourself? Kathy and Todd Adams are here to talk about how you can become more aware and conscious to transform your relationships. They are the host of Zen Parenting Radio, and Kathy is the author of several parenting books, including her upcoming book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. Kathy and Todd, hello and welcome to my show. Hello, thank you for having us. Hello, thank you for having us. So let's first talk about your parenting story. I'm sure this is asked of you a lot. Like you write books, you have a parenting radio show, show, but what's your personal parenting story that you'd be comfortable sharing with my audience? Well, I'll start with that because I think that our parenting story is what kicked off everything we do now for a living. (laughs) Um, Really. Um, My, my history is, is I am a therapist. And um, so I used to work at children's Memorial hospital here in Chicago. That's where Todd and I are from. And I was an elementary school teacher. So I thought once I become a parent, you know, I got it right. And Todd's always loved kids. He's always been with kids. And so I thought this is not going to be a big deal. But the truth was it totally sidelined me. I had no idea how it would. It it wasn't just about the hands-on parenting part. Once you had your first baby. Once I had my first baby. Right. It was about the um, how I lost my sense of self. It was how I had to integrate this new role. It was how I didn't quite know, you know, everything changes and everybody says that and it's become so cliche, but I really had to reestablish a new sense of self. And Todd, I think you would probably say the same. I would agree. But what's important, at least in our situation, is you decided to stop working and be a full-time mom. Yes, I did. And your life turned upside down. Yeah. And mine turned upside down for a few days and then I went back to work. <laughs> and as a husband, as a husband and as a man, that was it was really hard for me to get my arms around why you were struggling the way you were. Yeah. So I think I think that's important to say because I think a lot of times first time moms are like, Why aren't you in misery with me? Right. Well the reason is because I'm my life hasn't changed that much right now. So and it was that was a difficult time for both you and I. It was. It was. And that's exactly goes back to the part about how everything changes, even your relationship with your partner changes. And so everything has to be renegotiated internally and externally. And that was one thing that Todd and I needed to figure out is even though my choice then was to stay home full time, that didn't mean that he didn't do anything. Right. And we had to figure out a way for you know, we had to reacquaint ourselves to reacquaint with ourselves. with with, the, with a, a good family structure because before it was easy because the baby was in your belly. Yeah. Now the baby's outside your belly and it changes everything. Yes. Yes. So that was the beginning. So I have a question for you guys. Um, Kathy, you said something that really struck interest in me in the in the fact that you want you wanted to be a full time stay at home mom. Yes. But then it was hard. And yes. do you find that people go, hey, when I have this, then it's, I mean, I mean, when I get what I want, I'm going to be happy and it's going to be smooth. And then there's kind of that other shock of it's hard. You get what you want, but it's really hard. 
Was that what, what was something that you were going through? Absolutely. And I think that's, that becomes a theme, you know, what you just said about, we think we want something and that when we achieve that, then we'll find happiness. Mm -hmm. I think that's a theme in every aspect of our lives, which we have to relook at. But to answer your question, that's exactly what I thought. I was working, as I said, in, you know, crisis management with children at a hospital. And I thought, okay, you know, my choice now for Todd and I, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to be with this child. It's going to be a more peaceful way of being. <laughs> and that wasn't the case at all. And that doesn't mean there wasn't joy in it. It means that I needed to accept that there was challenges alongside the joy. And I think a lot of times we think it shouldn't be a certain way. We think this is hard. It shouldn't be this way. It's hard. There's something wrong with me. It's hard. There's something I'm not doing right. But the truth is that is a big component of child rearing that we have to accept. Um, and Todd wants to say. Well, and real quick, um, and just for your audience so you know who we are as far as our parenting, we have three daughters, uh, ages 11, 9, and 7. Today, yeah. Today's our, our youngest, our, our youngest birthday. So, so just, you know, just so your audience can get your arms around, you know, what, what we have in our household. Yeah. So, yes, I think that's, and, and, you know, we do that. Then I decided to go back to school and become a coach when my daughter was about a year old. I knew I still wanted to be at home, but I wanted to also be working in some capacity while I was at home. And so I thought, okay, once I do this, then everything will be exactly the way I want it to be. And that presents different challenges. When am I going to do my homework? When, you know, so there, I, that's, I think the, the piece that we really need to be aware of is that there's nothing that is perfect. And that doesn't mean that there's nothing that doesn't feel right in the moment, but that the one thing that we can count on is that things change and evolve and that that's okay. And that doesn't mean that we're somehow failing. It just means we continue to look at what we're doing and make choices from that point. So Kathy, when you go into this new reality, right, this is what I want. It's going to be great. And then you realize this isn't because you're going from the known to the unknown. Whereas like Todd, right, he's going from the unknown And then going back to the known, right? He's going back into his workplace and his regular schedule. Did you get angry at him that you were, you were experiencing all this uncertainty where he was going back to someplace that he was rooted and understood? Absolutely. Actually, the first chapter in my first book, and I'll even take it back even farther than that. The first blog I ever wrote, which was about 10 or 11 years ago, was about how I had measured my entire worth on productivity because I had gone to school and gone back to school and gotten this job and climbed the ladder. And then I decided to stay home with my child. And so I had no way to measure my productivity anymore. And I watched my husband basically doing what I used to do, you know, the, the old pattern. And he, he basically, I felt like he was free. Like that's the word I would always use for him is the, in the first chapter of my book or the first blog I wrote, I actually talk about how there was one day he said, I am going to go to Target. And I freaked out on him and said, you get to go to Target. I don't get to go to Target anymore (laughs) unless I like pack up a million things and make sure it's the right nap time and make sure I don't need to nurse in an hour. And I just felt like he was free and I wasn't. And I also thought my wife was a little crazy when she said that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm going to Target. And she was a little crazy, but there was also, (laughs) I didn't quite appreciate what she meant by that. What she meant was her life was tied to this baby. And if she needs to go out, she needs to do a million different things. And unless I walk that walk, unless I am doing that, which I wasn't, I didn't understand it. And this kind of fast forwards a little bit, but once our youngest daughter, our oldest daughter became a little bit older, 
I think it was a year later, mm -hmm. you went to Mexico mm -hmm. with your girlfriends mm -hmm. for like three days. Yes. And that Beautiful gave moment. me an appreciation for what she did. And I had, you know, half days here and full days there before that. But that to be on for three days in a row, I think it's every, I'm not going to say husband, because maybe it's a stay at home dad with a working mom, but every um, partner needs to do that as early as possible. Like just be on for an uncomfortable amount of time just so they can get an idea of what the other one's life is like. Because it's hard when you have a young child and you're with them all day long. It seems like, oh, you would have all this time, but it's really hard. I've, I've, I'm All that stuff is coming back to me because my youngest two are 14 and 12. So yeah. it's been a while. It is, it is. And it's hard in a way that's hard to explain until you get there. You know, you can read every book and every person can tell you about it. But the thing that the hard part, it's, it's, you know, you got all the love, you got all the joy, you got all the cuteness, all that good stuff. But you literally don't have moments that are your own because even going to bed at night, you know, you're going to be woken up. There's no like point where you go, okay, now I can let down and relax. It's a, and, and for some, they'll say, well, when they nap or when they do this, but naps don't always go the way they're supposed to. And they don't always, you know, when the babysitter comes, sometimes you don't get to leave because the child, it, it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. And sometimes they don't sleep through the night. Yeah. And we call those the dark days. Those are some dark days. <laughs> when, when, and, you know, not to say we don't have struggles because our oldest is 11 years old. There's a different set of problems. But man, when your babies are less than two or three and you got maybe two of them, it's really quite, you know, it, it was a struggle. And I think once, and then like, as Todd said, we have three daughters. And once I had the second, once I had the third, Todd and I, there was an acceptance about the way things went, meaning not only had we done it before. So we kind of had that, you know, in our, we already had that experience. We also accepted that there were, there were phases of this child's development that are challenging for the parents. And so instead of fighting against it and saying it shouldn't be this way, we knew it would pass. You know, this too shall pass because we had experienced that with our first already. So did the experience, is that what kind of calmed you down or, or lessened the anger that you had, Kathy? There was a few things. Number one, um, the just being able to talk to Todd about it and being able to vocalize what I was feeling because I work with a lot of moms and I think what can sometimes be the the suffering piece is they they are silent. They just kind of accept it, absorb it, do the martyrdom thing, think this is the way it's supposed to be. And my ability to communicate that I was being challenged, even though it looked from the outside as if it should be quote unquote easy, that freed me. Because I, my husband understood. Well, and what was a, what was it so important in that is that, and I learned this lesson early. I wasn't really good at it in the beginning, but I learned it very quickly, is that when Kathy, when I came home from work or whatever, and she had something to vent about, uh, in the beginning, I thought she was telling me her problems so I can help problem solve for her. And I realized after reading John Gray's book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, I, one of the most important lessons of my marriage was in that book, and I don't remember what chapter it was, but basically he said, generally speaking, the feminine, I'm not going to say female because there's masculine and feminine in each one, too, yeah. but the feminine needs to be listened to and validated. What I did was try to problem solve, so we would leave that conversation, and she would feel frustrated, and I would feel frustrated because here I was offering all these wonderful solutions to her problems, and <laughs> she was not accepting them. Instead, she left with frustration, and I learned very quickly what she needed from me in that moment was just to listen to, to be listened to, and to be validated. And although that makes very little sense to me as a man, I'm like, well, how does that help? It helped her. And when I figured that out, things got better. I just wanted to be heard. You know, you know 
that is so important for for the listeners out there because holding space while it looks like it's not doing anything, but that's what you wanted, right? You want to be heard and you wanted him just to hold that space so you could process. Absolutely. And when he does that, that, you know, the first thing is, is I get to release. The second thing is, is it normalizes it. You feel a sense of, okay, and, and acceptance, you know, like you still accept me, even though I'm not upholding what I carried. And this wasn't what Todd carried, but I carried this vision of what a perfect mother was supposed to look like. And once I was able to say, I am not that vision, but he was like, yeah, but you know, it's all still good. And I, it wasn't just his validation that I needed. I needed my own too. I needed to, you know, rethink through who really I wanted to be and what I was doing to myself with that uh, image of perfection. Um, so now what we do, what I do is that when she has a problem or needs to vent, I will just very bluntly say, am I in problem solving mode or am I in <laughs> validating mode? And that sounds kind of silly, but I advise anybody who might be struggling with this. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there just point blank ask, say, do you want to be listened to, or do you want me to actually help you solve this problem? And, uh, and to, there's a way to say that with, it doesn't, so how do you not, say, I, I'm not good with words, well, Kathy. It's all about the intention and the tone behind it, because if it's said in a condescending way of, you know, am I problem solving or am I just or is it, you know, is in this situation, do you just want to do you just want me to listen or is there really something you're trying to get at here? You know, is there like a solution we're trying to find? And if it's if that's said with love, gosh, that's just such a. And again, as Todd said, you know, we're talking about me in this experience, but men need this too. Right. Men need to be heard as well. They need to be validated for what they're doing too. And so it it's just a great relationship well, tool. And that's another thing is I think a lot of times the, um, let's say a stay-at-home mom will say, well, he gets to do whatever he wants during the day at work. He can go have lunch. He can have fun with his friends, you know, for an hour after work and all that. But when we're, we don't always want to be working either. So it's not like it's like a recess when we're working from whatever, nine to five or whatever. And I think a, a lot of the times, sometimes the stay at home spouse will just think that the other one is out gal- galvanning, having a good time. And we're exhausted at the end of the day too, just yeah. like she is. Cause I think a lot of times like the, the mom, let's just say in this example, well, okay, here's the baby. Well, that, that dad has been working all day. And of course, that dad needs to reconnect with its baby. But um, sometimes the dad needs to take a break in between work day and being a husband and a dad. So yeah, everybody has to be considered. And that takes an immense amount of communication and and an ability to hear each other. Well, and I I appreciate that, you know, pointing that out, because I think so often we can just discount what our needs are, right? And the fact that one of the things you said earlier, Kathy, was that you would talk with Todd, you vocalized what you were feeling. And that's how what you help with moms do. And then Todd realizing that, hey, I can ask, well, what is it that you need? Do you need me to listen? Do you need me to help you problem solve this? Right. Mm -hmm. And those are so they're really basic concepts. But it sounds like they're pretty foundational in having a marriage in a family, especially with young kids when there's a lot of um, stress lack of sleep. And, and then like you said earlier, Kathy, that vision of a perfect mother, right? Clashing with everything. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Todd and I used to teach classes for new moms uh, years ago when our kids were really little, new moms and dads. And the, the thing that we focused on the most with them was exactly what you're talking about, the communication. 
is that when the communication gets broken down, we start to create stories in our head about what's going on. Just like what Todd said, we start to think that the other person's life is easier. We start to think that the other person doesn't care what we're doing. We start to think, and you notice the word I keep using, think, 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 but we're not sharing. We're not asking. And we're not, you know, I, I say to the, to the moms always, it is your responsibility to share how you are feeling and to ask for what you need. And sometimes they're like, oh, but they should know. My partner should know. <laughs> they don't always know. And 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 for you know the partner on the other side, that person, as you said, has to be able to hold that space and listen without needing to be instantly defensive. Because I think that's what ends up happening is when we share that we're challenged, there's a defensiveness, defensiveness that comes up where we want to say, but I am too. And which that may be true, but we have to be able to hear the the first person, and then the other person can share how they feel as well. Asking for what you need, that's pretty hard, isn't it? It is. It is, especially as, you know, going back to what we said, when you said, what I want is I want to stay home. I want to be with the baby. I can't wait. It's all I've ever wanted. And let's talk about people who have dealt with issues of infertility or who have adopted, who waited a really long time to do what they're doing. And then they start you know, getting into the parenting routine and realize they actually still need help. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not as easy as I thought it would be. I actually need to speak. And that is, it takes a tremendous amount of bravery, (laughs) you know, to really share what you need. Well, what's interesting is that we talk to a lot of people, like I have a buddy, you know, I have friends who would say, well, I'm frustrated with my wife because of blah, 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 blah. And I'll say, well, what does she think about all these things? And he'll be like, well, I haven't told her yet. And I'd be like, dude, what are you, I mean, it's okay to vent to your friends, but, but the other person is not a mind reader and you need to vocalize that even though it's uncomfortable. You gotta, you gotta fight through the discomfort uh, because when you do, there's something on the other side of that, but you need to be uncomfortable for a little bit as long as, you know, your spouse has your back and knows that it's in the best interest. And, and at the same note, the person who is sharing their needs has to be able to do it with love rather than with blaming. That is something I talk to moms about a lot too, is you need to ask for help. You need to share of yourself. But it's, it, if it comes across in it's your fault that I'm feeling this way, or if it comes across in you need to do better and you're pointing the finger and blaming, Forget it, you're it done. will not be heard. It's not going to work. So there is, there's a lot, you know, I feel like we've talked about so many different pieces here. It takes a lot to communicate effectively Mm -hmm. and, but it's worth it because all of those other issues that can come up don't ever come up if you can vocalize what you need. Well, we just talked about on our podcast a few weeks ago about having mini breakdowns. You want to explain what those are, sweetie? Well, we just talk about that a lot of people tend, especially um, at the age that Todd and I are now, a lot of our friends are having big breakdowns, you know, crisis in their marriage, crisis with their children, just a lot of crises. And that we talk about that while there's some normalcy to that, that happens to people. But instead of waiting for there to be a huge crisis and like not dealing with issues that are coming up, Why not have little breakdowns here and there where you deal with things as they come up, as they present themselves, you talk about it. As a child is challenged with something, you ask them about it. When your spouse is being disconnected, you try to reconnect instead of having it reach a full-blown crisis. We believe in little crises. Yeah, a lot of (laughs) crises. A lot of little ones. So, Todd, I have a question for you. Has parenting provided you kind of like the playground to practice being a better communicator? 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think my first step in that was getting married. So we were married about a year before our first baby showed up. And so that was step one, but yeah, I mean, community, you know, it's cliche, but communication is key. That's the truth. And the biggest part is what Kathy just said is if you can communicate effectively in a non judgmental way, you're going to be a lot better. And this is something that needs constant improvement and constant, introspection because it's we all get frustrated on a day-to-day basis whether it's at our spouse or with our kids or for work and it's just so easy to kind of go off the deep end and just just vent and if you can <clears throat> do it in a way where it's being uh, non-judgmental in a loving way like Kathy and I have plenty of I'm, I'm not going to say that we like we don't yell at each other but we have arguments but all the arguments we, are we disagree are respectful yeah and if you can do it that way, then you're, and we haven't even talked about self-care. I mean, you can't give something you don't have. And that's one of the main things that we always talk about on our podcast is, is you, you cannot give something that you don't have for yourself. So, yeah. And um, so it, this all sounds so, you know, wonderful. And I'm wondering if there's listeners out there going, oh, well, they do it right. But I've really messed up quite a bit. Um, but I would imagine that how you guys have learned these things is by making the mistakes. Yeah, embrace failure. I fail every single day, man. Just ask my kids or my wife. <laughs> Absolutely, and there is something to be said for failure, meaning it's it's one of those huge, you know, the big part of Zen Parenting Radio, uh, the, the podcast that Todd and I do and what I write about, it's all about waking up. It's all about becoming more clear about who you are, about you know who you want to spend time with, about the relationship with your kids. It's like waking up to that instead of being on autopilot with everything. And failure is one of those beautiful wake-up calls where it's like, you know, kind of a hit over the head that says, hey, that's not working, but you now can reposition yourself or you can reconsider, or if necessary, you can apologize for that or whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be so scary. We're so unwilling to fail that we will, we're willing to suffer and pretend and lie and do all these awful things that we would never normally do. So we don't quote unquote fail. And I think that that's one thing in our family. And not only do Todd and I try to embrace failure, but we try to talk to our kids about, hey, go out and take the risk and give it a try. And I don't mean safety risks. I mean, like, you want to try out for the play? Go ahead. If you don't make it, big deal. You know, you know, take an opportunity to do something you've never done before. And if it doesn't work out, you have the experience. But when it does work out, it's pretty amazing. But you can't feel that unless you take the rest. Well, and it's a little, not counterintuitive, but that's a challenge as parents because, you know, when your kid's born, you want to protect them from everything. And you kind of forget that this is a person that's going to end up growing up and sprouting and expanding and being expansive. The only way to allow for that expansion is to let them fail. And, you know, we put our girls in positions of try out for the plate, try out for the soccer team, you know, it's be so easy. Like, well, why don't you just try for the B team? That way you for sure make it. Well, that's a disservice to your child. If that's, and it's always about if that's what they want. If they want the B team, go for it. Right. But if they're like, no, I want this, but I'm afraid we're like, go right. for if it. They, if they make the decision based off of fear of failure, we're not going to go for that. But right. if they don't want to take it that seriously, maybe right. B team soccer is your thing. Right. You go nuts. So. Yeah. You know, it makes me um, think about, there's a quote that we, my husband and I use a lot, um, where it's, uh, prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child, mm-hmm. right? Cool. And it. and it, it it helps us remember that we, you know, because we all, we do want to all just protect our kids and fix all of their stuff. But how can we help them process through it? Because just as we go through our own failures, for them to learn that, hey, when you make mistakes, you can circle back 
revisit it, take a look at what worked and what didn't work, and then move, learn from that and move forward. And that's what it sounds like you guys are talking about with your own parenting journey. Absolutely. Like the thing that I want my kids to understand, at least from, from Todd and I, is that they are accepted no matter what, no matter what they're interested in, no matter what they enjoy, no matter what their um, intellectual level is, which is something we don't really focus that much on, you know, right. whatever, you know, as far as, you know, we're not concerned about that they reach something specific or that they do something specific. We want them to be themselves and we accept them for who they are. But at the same time, we don't want them, we want them to accept themselves as well. And so we're going to try to inspire them to do what interests them. And if, and, you know, if that means taking some risks here and there, you know, we'll be there to support them if they fall. Right. The metaphor you use is the balance beam, right? Yeah. So one of the things we talk about a lot on the show, this is just a great visual for me, and maybe this will help some, some of your listeners. If a child is walking on a balance beam, they have to walk the balance beam. You can't walk it for them. Now you could hold their hand and stay right next to them and put your arms around them so they don't fall, but then they're not truly doing it themselves. The way I visualize us as parents is our child is walking the balance beam and we are standing off to the side with our hands open. So if they fall, we will help them get back up, but they have to walk it themselves. And sometimes I can feel myself putting my hands on them saying, okay, wait a second. I don't want you to fall. You know, we all have those moments where we're, we're kind of going with our own fear, but that's always my reminder to back up, let them take the steps forward and they may may be able to rebalance themselves. That's that's a really great um, visual for the listeners to yeah. to catch on, you know, because again, we we have that instinct. Hey, we need to protect. We need to show up, but really, what will be what will help our children develop? That's right. Well, and you know, Corn, uh, one thing that we talk about quite a bit is how a lot of parents say to us, "Well, it's a tough world out there, and the world's got to I got to toughen these kids up because it's a tough world." And what Kathy and I have always said is. All we want is that when our girls come home from being out in the world, whether it's at school or out with friends, when they get back into under our roof, that it's a place of love and support and acceptance and acceptance. And I think a lot of parents um, synthetically, artificially create situations to toughen them up. And we've always said the world's going to toughen you up regardless. We just want (laughs) to. We just want to make sure that they have a place that they know that they're going to be loved and supported. Yeah, family and home is the safe spot. It's not the place where we're going to create crisis for you. We're going to have there be a place, you know, it's not a perfect place, obviously, but it is a place where you know that you're loved and accepted and that you can come home with anything. Because as Todd said, as they go out with peers or have issues in school or, you know, they're going to have enough experience with feeling unaccepted that we don't need to contribute to that. So how do you create that safe place for your kids? Several, several yeah. ways. Where do you start? Well, the first one is, you know, kind of just going on what you, we were talking about with communication, you know, how Todd and I have a certain kind of communication. We carry that into our parenting. Um, we are open about things in this home. We talk about how we're feeling. Emotions are just fine. Like every emotional experience, if it be happiness, anger, sadness, we consider all of them normal. And I know that may sound like, well, of course, well, you know, again, I work with a lot of parents and that's not typical most places. Most places we just want our kids to be happy all the time. And if they show any signs of anger or sadness, we try and shut it down or stop it. Our hope for our children is that when they have these emotional experiences that we can support them in processing through them and dealing with them rather than pretending they don't exist. 
So we have a lot of conversations about that. We've been doing that since we were very, very little. Well, and you talk about com- uh, communication, and this goes to every single aspect of parenting, which is role modeling. You know, we sometimes ask our children to do things that we don't do. Are you somebody who yells at your spouse? Well, don't be surprised when your kid yells at you or when your kid yells at his or her sibling. If we're not walking the walk, they're not, you know, everybody's like, well, what do I say when when I'm in this parental situation? Or what do I say when I'm in that parental situation? Our words don't mean nearly as much as you think they do. If we can role model and walk what we think is the best way to do it, they're going to pick up on it. Well, the quote we always use is kids don't learn by listening to what you say. They learn by watching how you live. And so we have to be clear that the way that we're treating them and talking to them is what they're picking up on, on how to be. And so if, for example, like sometimes I'll say to my daughter, hey, you dropped that. You didn't pick it up. You know, go pick that up. And she'll say, actually, I didn't do that. You know, somebody else did. And I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I was wrong, you know, to, to, to tell you to do that. You know, I was like, I take responsibility for my, what I say. I take responsibility for how I treat myself. I take responsibility for how I'm communicating with them. And again, these sound like very simple things, but they're like moment to moment decisions. You know what I mean? Well, And I think that we, as parents, we think that we have to be perfect. Right. And to say you're sorry. I mean, for me, I mean, uh, my mom was a, was a loving mom, but she wasn't a big fan of saying you're sorry. And I say it to my kids all the time, maybe just kind of because I knew it affected me growing up, but just apologizing for your mistakes. Like there's, uh, I, I think that in parenting, we think that there's, the, there's this hierarchy where I'm the parent, so I don't need to say I'm sorry. And we are in charge of our kids, but we are not above our kids. Does, mm-hmm. that, does that make sense? And, and that, that oftentimes when Todd and I say that in presentations, parents get very uncomfortable that's balanced with a sense of self-respect, meaning you are not saying to your children, oh, please forgive me, or I'm the worst mother, or I'm the worst father. You're not being self-depreciating. You're being real. If you say to, let's pretend it's not a child, it's another adult, and you did something that, you know, wasn't okay, you you know, ran into them by accident, or you threw something away that they didn't want you to, you would say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't understand that that was important to you. It's the same with children. We need to treat them with a sense of respect the way that they learn respect is by experiencing respect. And so that's kind of the home. And again, as Todd said, we don't do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have our failures that we need to learn from, but that is what, that's our intention when we're at home. I love that. They need to learn respect. What was that? What was the by, by experiencing respect? That, they can't, uh, they don't know how to be kind unless someone has been kind with them. They can't, you know, they don't know how to take care of themselves unless unless they're watching someone take care of themselves. It's a, you know, I think that's the thing is we assume kids to just know these things innately and that we get to yell at them and put them in line all the time, but they will not know what kindness looks or feels like or respect unless they experience it with us. Ooh, that's really, really good. Those are, those are some really key points for the listeners out there Yeah, and great reminders for myself. Um, so I have a question for you. How do you help your kids process anger? Right. I love how I've, I've had a lot of people come on the show and we talked about how important it is to identify, you know, name your, name your feelings instead of stuffing, stuffing them down and, and developing an emotional language. Like I had Carla McLaren on a couple times this year when we were talking about just that. So how do you do that with your kids? 
Yeah, well, the first thing is, is in yourself as a parent, understanding that anger is an okay emotion to have. And I feel like that is a first, that is a starting point because so many of us were raised being told that anger is not appropriate, especially us girls. Us girls just need to be nice and kind all the time. We can never be mad. Um, and so the first thing is understanding that anger is normal and that anger is just kind of a red flag that something's going on that's not right. Like that's the way I look at it in myself and the way I look at it in my kids now. When they get angry, there's something there's that they are unable to communicate or there's something that's making them feel uncomfortable. Like it's a, it's a signal, it's a sign rather than a sign of disrespect toward us. And so, again, we've been doing this with the kids since they were very little, you know, when they're two and three stomping around, you know, we'll say, oh, it looks like you're really angry. Are you feeling angry? And it's kind of allowing them to say, yes, you know, this didn't feel fair or they didn't always have those words, but they did as they grew older. And what we were able to talk to the girls about is let's find a way that you can work this anger through because emotions, any emotion, the word emotion comes from energy in motion, motion, you know, energy, or let me say that again, anger is just an energy going through your body. And so if you can just move it through, it dissipates. If you repress it, it gets stuck. And sometimes we as parents repress it, not because it's a bad thing, but it's making us, us uncomfortable. uncomfortable. And yeah. we have to be okay with being uncomfortable and allowing the kids emotions to go through because if they get stuck, and this is, you talked about girls, I'll talk about boys. As boys, like the only emotion that seems to be okay is anger as they get older. Like any other emotion, whether it's sadness or grief or vulnerability, none of that is okay. Well, the, and the interesting thing about anger is it's actually a second tier emotion. Anger usually comes after sadness or embarrassment or something else that the child or the adult was unable to process or uncomfortable with. So it's a lot, I don't want to say it's simpler literally, but it feels simpler in the body to go to anger than to really deal with like a sadness or an loneliness or a, an embarrassment. So we just get mad at the person instead, you know, instead of dealing with what the initial feeling was. And so with our girls, sometimes getting to the core of what's really making them feel so angry, you know, having that opportunity to talk it through. And if they can't do it, we're all about motion. Like my oldest daughter needs to move. My youngest daughter, um, who's seven, she draws a lot. She draws a lot of pictures and I, and sometimes it's not, it's not always an anger, but that's like a, a release for her. My middle daughter has the gift of words. <laughs> she can say how she's feeling. She just did this last night, Todd, mm -hmm. when I was sick, she, she can come in and say, this is how, why this is bothering me. And this is making me feel this way. And the other two have those skills, but not as it doesn't come as easy to them. So they need to use other other ways to release their feelings. Well, and one thing I'll say is, you know, if you're a parent out there and you're listening and, and your kid is angry and it makes you uh, frustrated, you know, all of a sudden the frustration meets the frustration. And one thing we always say is bring calm to chaos. You're the adult. You need to take care of yourself so you can put yourself in a position to bring calm to chaos. And believe me, it's not hard when your kid is, it's not easy when your kid is having a tantrum in Target, or it's not easy when your kid is on the floor chucking stuff around or if they hit you or something to that effect right yeah. but but you need to create a little bit of space between the stimulus which is your kid is driving you nuts right now and how you react to it and if you're able to do that you can bring a sense of calm to that and that's not something that we do perfectly but it's something that we <laughs> expend a lot of energy working towards Todd and I are breathers you yeah. gotta breathe man take, count to five take yeah. a breath I mean there's a million different things you can do um, so that's I just think that's an important point that needs to be made yeah. 
bring calm to chaos. So when you are in that, especially those high tension places, right? Because for some parents, you know, if their kid has a tantrum sending target, that can trigger a lot of shame in them. Like, oh my yes. gosh, everybody's going to think I'm this horrible parent, right? And, yes. and, and the kid kind of knows, like, I've kind of got you. Mm-hmm. So how do you bring calm to chaos in those extremely vulnerable situations where you're, I mean, it's not just in the safety of your home, right? You, right. You're out there and you feel like you're on the spot. Absolutely. And you know what, that's where this self-care and self-awareness piece comes in, because we talk, I feel like those are the key components of any kind of conscious parenting or any kind of calm parenting, you know, whatever terminology you want to use to describe it, is you have to be aware of what's most important in that moment. And so it's hard to say, I'm not a big believer in techniques where I say, oh, if this happens, do this, because you have yourself with your with your own personality, you have a child with a certain personality, and then you have a situation that there's a lot of different dynamics. What I would say is that a lot. I did a few different things. If a child was really falling apart in a store, there were times that I had to leave. And part of that was because I didn't know what to do. And so I needed to remove myself from the situation so I could calm down and come up with a better solution. There's also been times when I've understood why my child was falling apart. Like it made sense to me. They were exhausted or maybe they had just, you know, had a really tough day or maybe they just fell. And I had no problem sitting on that floor in Target with them on my lap. And there's a, you know, many parents will say, oh, that's so embarrassing. Well, that's the self-awareness piece. What's most important in that moment? Is it connecting with your child and giving them the soothing they need or is it making sure all these strangers in this target know that you're a good parent? It, do you know what I mean? Like you really have to have the ability to, to have a bigger lens and say what, you know, in that moment, there may be some embarrassment. And I know that a lot of us carry some old shame that gets brought mm-hmm. up in that moment. But that again is the, we have to be able to say what's most important right now is to soothe my child. And most of the time, you know, when I would do that and, you know, it still happens occasionally sitting on the floor and just having a child on my lap, parents walk by with the biggest smiles because they get it. They understand they've been there. And instead of yelling at a child or being harming or disparaging to them, you're actually loving them through that situation. But at times that I can't do that, I don't have the capability or my child seems irrational. I have had to leave. And that's, you know, well, I don't want to leave. Well, or, sometimes or a lot of times do. if we're at home uh, and, you know, you're fed up because of the kids driving us crazy, you will say, hey, man, I don't I have it in me. Help. And, you know, yeah. I, that there's a lot of single parents out there saying, well, I can't have that. I know. And I'm sorry for that. But if you have a spouse and you're not in a good place, just pass pass the baton because we do that a lot. And, and asking for help, not being <sighs> a... Um, it not some indication that you feel that you're incapable. It's just saying I'm because there's a support system here. And if you're a single parent, you have other support systems. Usually there's neighbors. Usually there's other family members that it's okay to ask for help. It really, not only is it okay, it's smart. Well, and when Kathy was talking about that situation where what do other people think about me at Target? Do they think I'm a bad parent? I sum it up a little bit quicker than Kathy did, which is what other people think about me is none of my business. And (laughs) it's, it's easy to say, but I really try to, to, to live by that. Like, you know, what's most important, the supporting and loving my child in this moment is much more important than what these strangers think people about I'll me. People will never see again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Isn't it amazing how we'll put these, these people out there, these strangers, and they'll hijack our own priorities because we're worried about the perception yep. of these people walking by that we may never see again. 
Yep. Absolutely. And we, we blame them, the strangers, and we create stories about the way they were looking at us and they were whispering about us. Or, and really, that's just our own inner story. If we if we looked at people around, and, and that's usually what ends up happening to me is when I can go into that loving place and hold my child and be there, you actually recognize that people are supporting you. People are not against you. And I, I know there people can tell stories like, well, this person was, this person was, but the majority of the time, people want, especially when it comes to a child, they want to see that loving connection, however it may look. And so I think that we have to kind of question our own stories about how people are perceiving us instead of assume that everyone is thinking negatively about us. Well, and this brings it back to that self-aware piece that you talk about in your upcoming book, uh, the book about parenting, uh, sorry, um, living what you want your kids to learn, the power of right. self-aware parenting. You know, it's, it's getting, it sounds like it's about really getting crystal clear what is important to you connecting with your child, right? What, right. what they need and how you can be a mirror for, or, and how they're a mirror for you. Exactly. And, and what, what are your priorities? Exactly. You know, I, I really feel like, and again, this is one of the biggest parts of what's defined as conscious parenting is that our children really do wake us up to who we are. They really do help us see how, what we're putting out into the world, the stories we have in our own head and how we're not only treating ourselves, but how we're treating others. And they give us, you know, and, and a lot of parents will say, oh, you know, it's so hard because they're my mirror. I'm actually so grateful. And again, I'm here now. It took me, uh, you know, a lot of work and steps to get here, but I'm so grateful that my children are a mirror for me because they remind me of who, who I want to be. You know, when I have those moments and I'm yelling, I have to feel how that feels. And I know that's not who I want to be. I know that's not the relationship I want with my child. And it makes me question myself and work on where that comes from. And again, there's many layers to that. You know, we could never do it justice in, you know, one show because everybody has their own background and they have their own stories. But that's, it's, it's a healing process. It really is. When your child questions you or says, why do you do that? Or mom, you hurt my feelings, that we really get the opportunity to say, what am I doing? Or what am I replaying? Or what am I doing that maybe my parents did with me that's not working for me in this moment? You know, there's a, it's a lot of questioning. It's a lot of in interior work. Well, one example I give is um, a lot of parents out there will kind of force their kid to play the piano or play the guitar. And it's just kind of a metaphor that I like to use because not to say that art or music or athletics isn't important. And it's important that we introduce certain things to our kids. But when it comes to the point where you're absolutely forcing your kid to do something, you got to ask yourself, where, why is this so important to me? If it's not that important to them, why is it so important to me? And a lot of parents will say, well, they'll thank me later. <laughs> well, well, what I say is if the piano is really that important to you, then you play the piano and let your kid figure out what he wants. Because if the, if the kid is supposed to be a piano player, they will be. It'll, it'll come it'll to them. Happen. One way, shape, or form, it will get there. But for us to kind of force our kid to play baseball or force our kid to do this or force our kid to be an A student when he might not be an A student, maybe he's a C student, those types of things is you walk that walk and just observe and, and be enlightened by what your kid is going to be. Because one of two things is happening in that situation. Either you never got the opportunity to take the piano, and so you would like your child to fulfill that dream for you. Or number two, you played piano and it somehow helped you in your life, so you're going to assume that your child needs to take the same path. And both of those need to be questioned. 
You know, and that goes back to what you said earlier, Kathy, you know, this vision of a perfect mother, right? This vision that we have of what it's going to look like. And, and while it's not bad to have a vision, it sounds like going back and checking in and how much does this idea line up with the reality? And is it what we want? Is it what our children want? Is it what my partner wants? Is it what I want? And it's a lot of that questioning. That sounds like what it is. It is. It's a lot of questioning. And with our kids, you know, the big, the frame of reference that Todd and I try and use is how can I help my child become exactly who they are meant to be? Meaning instead of having an idea or a dream in my head about what they should do or what they shouldn't do, how can I stand back? Again, it's like the balance beam thing again. How can I stand back and watch them and listen to them and allow them to unfold who into who they're supposed to be? And we know this, you know, we don't trust this with human beings. We know that in nature, when something is a seed, it eventually becomes exactly what it's supposed to be. And it may have challenges along the way, but, you know, it's already programmed to, it already has, you know, like, and if you have more than one child, you can have that experience of knowing that all children are different, even if they come from the same parents and live in the same home. So there's already something going on where personality is already developing and they already have certain interests. And our job is to help them fit, you know, enjoy those interests and live in their passion. Because if they know who they are and if they believe in who they are and if they can do what they love for a living, that's success. There, I don't have any other definition of success than that internal self-enjoyment, you know, that, that belief and that sense of worth. That's all I want for my kids. And even though, again, we keep saying this, but there are times when, yes, I'll be concerned about a grade or I'll be like, oh, are you sure you don't want to try this sport? Of course, I have the external voices in my head, but that's always the point I try and return to is what do I really want for my children? I want them to feel good about who they are and accept them in who they are. Well, it sounds like you guys are rooted in a place of love instead of fear. Like um, years ago, I interviewed the director who uh, did the film Race to Nowhere, right? And we're in this cultural crisis with our kids. It's like, we need to have them do lots of sports and I'm an athletic coach and, you know, and we need to have them, uh, you know, get hyper accelerated in school because it's this fear of, my kid's not going to be enough. This is a hard, scary world and they're not going to be enough. So we've got to push them into overdrive. But it sounds like with you guys, you guys are rooted in love and and having trust and faith that by uh, tending, I guess, to the garden, so to speak, right, of teaching them emotional well-being, you know, teaching them to be able to be self-aware that you're trusting that because of that, they will be able to flourish as adults. Exactly. And the only way to do that is to have it for yourself. Exactly, and it's and it's and that's <laughs> that's a really big task if you think about it. To be an emotionally healthy human being in this day and age is not always the easiest thing to do, and it's something that we're always working towards. But it's almost impossible to teach it to your children unless you have it for yourself. Unless you're practicing it, you know. Mm-hmm. The word that I love and I use a ton in my books is this: this whole process is practice. It's not a destination that you reach where you're like, okay, now I'm constantly self-aware. There's not a time when you're like, okay, I'm only loving and never fearful, but you're practicing it on a moment to moment basis. And when you feel yourself sliding into fear or getting focused on your own needs rather than what your child may be telling you, you know, that's when you reconsider and wake up. And it's interesting that you brought up Race to Nowhere because we just, Todd and I just hosted a showing here in town um, of Race to Nowhere and we're doing a uh, follow-up. It's called Replace the Race, but we really believe in what Vicky's doing. And that's definitely 
the message that we're trying to send to when it comes to schools or sports, that the the social emotional well-being of your child is the most important thing, bottom line. And if they have that social and emotional well-being, they can't help but be successful. Maybe not in the, the you know vision you have where they have a ton of money in this car or whatever. That's all surfacey stuff. But they will be able to be um, self-motivating. They will follow a path that feels right to them. They will find a sense of peace in what they're doing. And that's all I want for my kids. So you guys, as we wrap up today, what are a couple of takeaways for the listeners? Um, I have two. Um, the first one is if you have a child who's in athletics and I, I just watched a TED talk, I forget the guy's name, and there's a blog on this, so this isn't um, new, but uh, as uh, adults and parents, you get in the car after the game and you basically talk about what went wrong. And instead of doing that, because kids feel all this pressure about pleasing their parents and all that. So the takeaway for your listeners is instead of being critical or instead of doing what you normally do, when you get in the car after the game, just say, I loved watching you play. Just that. And then be quiet. And then if it's silence for the next 10 minutes in the car, allow it to be silent. But I think we as parents are always trying to improve or tweak or or get them a little bit better, just push them a little bit further. And if you just say, I love watching you play, that is um, that's all they need to hear. Was that speech? was that John O'Sullivan? He was a soccer coach. Yes, I think that's the guy. Yeah, he's been on the show. And there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many versions of what you know what John says and what Todd just said. You know, it's um, how was that for you? Did you have a good time? Or wow, that looked like it was a really exciting game. I enjoyed watching that. You know, there's so many versions of letting them know that you're right there with them without telling them how to be better. You know, that we're constantly trying to make them improve. Um, my one of my takeaways would be um, the whole idea of being self-aware is pretty difficult unless you're practicing some form of self-care and self-care can mean many things to, you know, it's different for everybody. Um, but doing something for yourself every day that makes you feel like yourself, that makes you feel grounded, that makes you feel good about who you are. And for some people, it's exercise. And for some people, it's not. That's like a nightmare to them. For some people, it's having just coffee in the morning by themselves or finding silence or stillness. But if you can do that every day, then you have the ability and the space to be present for other people. And most important, figure out what feels right to you on a daily basis, because that's really my you know, what I say to parents all the time is do what feels right to you. But if your head is constantly overwhelmed and if you are living on autopilot, it's hard to even feel what feels right to you. So if you can practice self-care and and make decisions from your authentic self, um, you're moving in the right direction. That's great. Yeah, that's self-awareness and giving yourself that permission to say, what is it that I want? What's important to me instead of, oh, this is what my neighbor or my friend is doing and I should be doing that. Exactly. Well, Kathy and Todd, thank you so much for coming and being a guest today. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you. This has been great. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. And my guests today are Kathy and Todd Adams, and I'll have links to their books and their websites and podcasts as well on their interview page. All right, let me turn this off. I'm so thankful for the show. I've been on the air for almost eight years. And 
talking with Todd and Kathy, you know, they're in the past 10 years ago, I would have been freaking out. I'm such a bad parent. You know, that's part of the reason that I started this show when my daughter was um, in first grade. But I just love what they had to say because it so resonates with I, what I've been trying to practice. And notice how I say try. You know, there's a lot of shame in parenting. I work with a lot of parents and this idea that we have to do it perfectly and we don't want to mess up our kids and there's so much fear around it. So, you know, one thing I just invite you to do is give yourself permission. You're going to make mistakes and own those mistakes and then figure out what it is, how the idea of what you want and the reality are different in the gap and how you can bridge that, how you can bring them closer together. You know, Kathy had talked about the vision that she had for like being the perfect parent and what she wanted, but then the reality of it was kind of sucked being a full-time stay-at-home parent, especially with young kids. And so what is the idea and what is the reality and where is the gap and what can be, what, how can you bring them closer together? Those are the things. So I hope that with this interview, it gave you some nuggets of insight of some, oh yeah, I want to try that or, oh, that makes sense. Or, wow, I could sit at Target on the floor with my kid. That's really scary. And try it out, test it out because maybe it will work for you and maybe it won't. But figuring out what you need and what your kids needs, I think is so important. So giving yourself permission, permission to, you know, make mistakes, to not know it all. It, wouldn't that be just freedom to not know it all? So many parents that I work with have so much shame because they're like, well, I should know better. Or what are other people going to think, right? Because this is the image that I portray, but what really goes on on the inside of my home? We all are struggling. Parenting is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing to do. We are totally vulnerable when we parent. So much is out of our control, right? When they're young, we have a lot of aspects in, the, in our control as far as when they go to bed, you know, who they, who they get to see, what they eat, right? What they watch. And then as they get older, like my former guest, Mike Riera said, is you get fired from being their manager and you become their consultant, and, and we start to lose control and things happen, you know, and your kid gets their driver's license and they have that freedom and it gets more terrifying. We think it's going to get easier, but in some ways it gets more terrifying because we have less ability to protect them. Another thing I thought about when I was talking with them was the permission to ask for help. So whether you are a single parent or you are with a partner, but giving yourself permission to ask for help. One of the, that is a really, really hard thing for me to do. You know, I don't want to inconvenience other people. I don't want to impose. So I have to remind myself that you can ask, right? You can ask for the ride to the airport. You can ask for help here. And with some people, it's easier than others. And sometimes it's hardest with those that we love. So I just invite you to give yourself permission to ask for help. Um, and, and the other one is permission to figure out what are your priorities? right? You're going to get a lot of messages from everybody else about what your priorities quote should be. And that's a huge judgment word that can trigger a lot of shame for people. But what are your priorities? What's important to you? What's important to your partner, your husband, your spouse? You know, what are your priorities? And then how does that work? And then what are your kids' priorities? And how does that work with the responsibilities you may have, your family values? We talk a lot about that. 
you know, and it's, and it's a constant recalibration because again, remember that idea versus the reality. There's a lot of times a gap and that gap goes because all of a sudden you get really busy and focused or maybe have a deadline. Then somebody else comes ask for help here and then somebody else. And all of a sudden you realize you're far left, right? Maybe your kids are your priorities, but how you've been living your life are not aligned with that. And it's not to beat yourself up. It's okay. What can I start to shift to come back into alignment? And so I love what Kathy had to say about, you know, lot, asking yourself lots of questions and then doing it from this place of love. You know, that's what I talk about being rooted in love versus rooted in fear. When I'm a parent rooted in fear, oh, watch out world. It's not a good place because my inner gladiator comes out and I'm pretty much seeking and destroying. And sometimes those are the people that I really love. So that's my, not my intention. But And so my my job is to get back to being rooted in love so that I can go and parent my kids and or be the partner that I want to be. So, and finally, Kathy said one of my favorite words that a lot of my clients really resent is it's a practice, right? You're constantly practicing. And the reason my clients resist is sometimes they want me to be the fairy godmother and go bippity boppity boo. But if you're in this parenting journey, you know it is hard. It is really, really hard. And it doesn't mean we need to story fondle that, but just to realize one, this is hard. It's emotionally hard. It can be physically demanding, right? Our brains can work a lot because all of a sudden we thought, I can't remember when my child was like two, I was like, I've got this down. And as soon as I got it, she was like, let me show you. And she would change things up, right? They're always keeping us on our toes. And it's a beautiful thing. Becoming a parent was one of the best things that ever happened. And I can tell you this, I never wanted to be a parent. I was way too afraid. I never wanted to be vulnerable. And so I remember being 20 years old and saying, there is no way I'm going to become a parent. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have kids because if I do that, I'll be safe. And then I met my husband, totally fell in love, head over heels. And then, and he had two kids and I was like, okay, well, I'll do this. And then, you know, I'll raise them and then move on. And then he convinced me to have kids. And all of those decisions were the best decisions of my life. I have learned so much from being a parent, from being a bonus parent, and from being a wife. So it's very, very, while it's very, very vulnerable, it's one of the most courageous things that you'll do. We're going to suck at it. And I mean, we, because I'm right there in there with you. And we're going to want to judge others because that's our armor. But really, if we can just hold that space for ourselves so we can reflect and think about what are our priorities? What, what are the needs that I have? What is it that I need to speak? What are the feelings that I have, right? And role modeling, like what Kathy and Todd talked about. Lots of great things to think about. I invite you to give yourself the space to process and think about what it is that you really want. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. 
with this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide